A message from Brother Matt Thomas is titled, Ace's Anger, and the scripture reading is from Job 5, verses 17, 18, and 27. Job 5, 17, 18, and 27. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. Good morning, everyone. Appreciate the uh, words that have been shared so far by Donovan and Kevin and the prayers. Leading our minds in worship, we are seeking to understand the character and the nature of God as we approach the Scriptures. Uh, we are developing a Christian worldview as we learn from the revelation of God. And it's a good time to remember that as we look into uh, certain accounts like we're going to today, that God has selected those things that He would like to have written in His book for all generations to read. And so we're going to come to the point uh, this week in the readings where you come across King Asa of Judah. He is Judah's sixth king. He's the great-grandson of Solomon, whom we discussed last week. And there are many things that could have been recorded about his life, but there are selected just a few that God wanted to put through His Spirit into writing for us to see today. I entitled the sermon, Asa's Anger, but really, the anger just provides the occasion for God to show His grace. And so really the focus the takeaway for you today is going to have to do with grace, but we're also going to see that anger, uh, something we all experience, something we all feel from time to time, something that may be uh, fleeting or deep-seated, is truly a problem if left unsurmounted. And so we're going to see how this plays in. So Asa is the great-grandson of Solomon. His father's name, Solomon's grandson, was Abijah, the fifth king of Judah. And Abijah gave one of the greatest sermons in the Bible in chapter 13. If you would turn to 2 Chronicles 14, that's where we're going to begin. 2 Chronicles 14. We're going to look at uh, some particular instances from 14, 15, and 16 to draw this together. But Abijah delivers this great historic understanding of God's people when the king of Israel sets himself in battle against Abijah. Now, I could not see or find whether Asa was born yet, but I'm sure one way or the other he heard about this great standoff where his father delivered a powerful message to the king of Israel that he ought not to come against Judah, the people of God, especially when Judah has claimed the God of Israel to be their God and the God of uh, uh, the, the Israelites were following. The northern kingdom were following idols. And he disbanded that occasion. So Asa had in his history and his upbringing, some good examples to follow, although the Bible says that Abijah personally was not that faithful to God. He had good support cast. So Asa inherited 
a faithful high priest, a faithful cabinet, and they worked with him and brought him into a very early understanding of his role in God's kingdom and work, just like we're trying to understand our place and our part in God's world and in His work, they helped Asa to see where he fit in. And so he starts off on fire. He shows uh, early on that he is good and right in the eyes of God. Now notice that's not in the eyes of man. He's good and right in the sight of God. God is approving of the things Asa is doing. He clears the house of all idolatry. He doesn't just leave some temples and high places uh, standing. He really goes after and cleans out most of those things. And it was pleasing to God that he did this. So he, he showed assertive leadership during the first 10 years of his reign when there was peace. And he even said, we're going to do this while there is peace. While God has secured our borders, let us build and let us uh, rid the land of, of evil and idolatry. And so in those 10 years of peace, he, he did some great things. Now, in year 11 of his reign, in year 11, Zerah leads an army of Ethiopia and Libyans of a million men into Palestine to square off against Asa and Judah who had 580,000 trained men, valiant warriors. But this man comes up from Africa with a million-man army, 300 chariots and horsemen, and drives Asa into prayer. Asa first goes out to meet him, understanding his role in the defense of his people. He goes out and lines the people up in battle array, but then he turns on the battlefield and calls out to God, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power, which was him saying, I feel like I'm the one with no power. He said, help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. That's 2 Chronicles 14.11. The next verse says, So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and they pursued them. Chased them back to the south. And so he experienced a great victory. And they, even while they were in Philistia, took some of the Philistian cities, the cities of their enemies, as they chased the, uh, Lib uh, the Ethiopians into that land. They also conquered some of Philistia, and they were bringing the spoils back to Jerusalem. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet named Azariah. And Azariah comes out to meet him with a very important reminding message. Maybe he's heard this a hundred times before, but the timing of this is, is beautiful. He's coming back, and you can imagine the things that are going through his head as he has routed this million-man army. He's coming back home thinking, boy, am I going to be lifted up. Boy, am I going to go down as one of the greatest. What timing? God said, I want you to go meet him on the road. And here's what I'd like you to say to him. 
Look at chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you're with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought Him, He was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on the inhabitants of the land. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity, that is, those who had forsaken Him. But now listen to what he says, But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. See, this is a good message. It's, it's a reassurance that what you just did, in fact, was because God was with you, in fact, because you were with God. You called out to Him, and I want you to know, get this set in your mind, that this victory was because you called upon the name of the Lord God. Don't forget that, Asa and Judah. Don't forget. And he even called personal responsibility, personal accountability into the picture. As if to say, no matter what men do, no matter what men may say, you be strong. You be strong, Asa. Judah, no matter what Israel's doing, your kinfolk up in the north, no matter what comes, you be strong and remember this message. Well, that's not just in there because it's powerful and poetic. We're going to see in the upcoming chapter, he's going to need to recall this prophetic sermon. This great exhortation reveals to us again this law of reciprocity, where if you are with God, He is with you. We see it many times in the Scripture Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. Forgive your debtors, and God will forgive you your trespasses. And we see this all the time, this condition marked by that word, two of the most powerful words in the Bible. We looked at one last week, but Solomon loved many foreign women. But this one is if, but and if. Two of the most important words you come across in the Bible. Don't ever skim over them. Go back and say, just like you see a therefore. Ooh, okay, something. this is a conclusion, conclusive remark. If you were with Him, He is with you. If you forsake Him, He is not with you. In fact, He is not going to go uh, with you and bless all that you're doing when you forsake Him. So this promise of God's presence is conditioned upon the presence of God's people in the throne room of God. David made a promise to David that was both conditional and unconditional when he said, you'll have a son reign on this throne forever if Solomon, Rehoboam, and if Abijam and Asa and all these kings were faithful, they would continue to have someone on the throne right up to the coming of Christ. Judah would have been the tribe, Jerusalem the city, and a man of David on the throne when Christ came 
to take over that throne forever. But it didn't happen that way. But the unconditional aspect of this was that God said, there will be one coming who will reign on the throne forever. That I'm going to keep. And so when you read through and you see the kings of Judah, all whom come from David's body, you see the, the uh, dynasties of Israel were two or three father, son, grandson in a row, and then some other family from another tribe would take over the kingship of the northern kingdom of Israel. With, with the southern kingdom of Judah, it was David's lineage all the way through, but it was broken because the conditions were not met on a number of occasions and in its finality when they were led away in Babylon. But God said, even in your unfaithfulness, because of a promise I made to David about a king who would reign forever, I will revisit you with mercy. So even in their exile, in 586 B.C., he said, you're going to have 70 years of exile, but I will bring you back to this place. So as far as you and I are concerned, promises that God will be with you and bless you are conditional upon your being with Him. But the promise to all of us that God would bless all of the people on the earth through Abraham's seed, He has thus fulfilled, despite man's sinfulness, by offering salvation to all through Jesus Christ. And whether or not you obey Him, He will come back in judgment against sin and to receive all of His into glory, all of His people into glory. That's unconditional. He's going to do that regardless of your personal response to Him. But if you want God to save you, if you want God to save you, you must be with God. And so we see this great exhortation come out. The offer is good for your lifespan right up until the very last breath. Right up until the very last breath, on your deathbed, God would accept your repentance and confession. He would. Jesus taught a parable about that, late life confessions and re re uh, receiving rewards. And it also calls to mind our scripture reading, which was actually, it said Job chapter 5. It was actually Eliphaz, his friend that was speaking, a truth about God. And Solomon reiterated it in chapter 3 of the Proverbs when he said, Therefore, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Uh, and um, he said, um, uh, The Lord corrects whom he loves just as a father and the son in whom he delights. That's what he's calling to mind now. And so don't forget God. Well, people in the northern kingdom are looking around and they're seeing their kingdom, flailing, sinful, poor leadership, and they're looking down to the south in Jerusalem, their old holy land and their temple, where they know that they should be and where God has said that I will be found there, and many of them start to defect to the south. And so over the course of the next 25 years, there are those who are coming from Ephraim and Manasseh and uh, from Simeon the tribes just to the north, and they're defecting to the south. A new king arises in the north. His name is Basha. And he sees this happening, and he goes down to the border between the north and south on one of the main routes to get to Jerusalem and builds a city on his side of the border, Ramah. And he builds the city and fortifies it, and he's not letting anyone defect anymore. 
And he's not letting anyone in the south travel to the north for any reason anymore. Well, here's where midlife amnesia sets in again. Certainly, God was impressed with Asa's spiritual leadership, his feats in the name of the Lord. And perhaps Asa was writing on this even 25 years later. No doubt many things, uh, blessings came to him through that time. But Asa, instead of calling upon God, gathers gifts from the temple and sends them by way of messengers up north of the northern kingdom to Syria to his dad, Abijah's old buddy, Ben-Hadad, who's still ruling in Syria. And he sends a message with the gifts and says, Israel has set a city against me. Therefore, break your truce, your alliance with them, and attack them from the north and make an alliance with us. And Ben-Hadad, being opportunistic as he is, as we learn him to be in the coming chapters, goes against the northern kingdom, attacks them in some of their northern cities, and Basha leaves Ramah and goes back home to tend to that business. Boy, it worked like a charm. I mean, what a piece of foreign diplomacy we're looking at here. Foreign policy is strong. His military might is strong. His civil loyalty is strong. I think God's got to be impressed with this move. Well, God's so impressed that He sends another prophet. Maybe you've not heard of this prophet either. There are many prophets that are uh, shown in the Old Testament. Not all of them are given names. Men of God sometimes. But Hanani is sent by God. God's so impressed that it says in chapter 16, verse 7, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. That's strange, isn't it? Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, now this is 25 years ago, remember. Because you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. In this, you've done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Ouch! God wasn't so impressed with his foreign policy, was he? And so, Hanina brings this message, and he uses this term, wholehearted. Which does not mean that he expected from Asa sinless perfection, but rather, as Piper points out, 
The point of saying that our hearts needs to be whole toward God is that we can't be divided in our allegiance. We can't look partly to God, but doubting Him, look partly to another source of help. We see this reiterated through the Scripture too, don't we? Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. James said when you pray, pray without doubting. Don't be double-minded, throwing it, casting all your care upon God, but then going and, and trying to resolve everything on your own strength and power. We see it played out over and over. Piper says, the Lord is on the prowl to bless people who despair of themselves and look wholly to Him for the help they need. We learn from John that he's looking for true worshipers. Here we learn that he's looking for those who are truly in need. God is actively searching to see if you are one. Are you? Are you one whom when His eyes come across you, He sees someone who truly worships only Him? Are you one that He sees and says, now there, there is someone who's holy in need of me and desires my help. They need me and they desire my help. I hope so. I hope you are. Unless you're thinking, this seems kind of self selfish that, that, that God would not uh, allow His worshipers on this earth to have their attention divided by any other thing. That He would not allow them to go off and, and worship other gods. Well, it's really rather simple. Men, are you willing to share your wives with other men? Mothers, are you willing to just let your children go off and come under the parenting of your local drug dealers? Of course not. Mother bears with cubs is what we would see in that case. We don't even think about that. That sounds silly that I said that, right? And you're even thinking, eh. That's how God feels about His creatures here on the earth. Of course, He doesn't want to share allegiance. When allegiance is to those dumb idols, as Jeremiah called them, they can't speak or hear their wood crafted with men's hands so that men can impose upon those idols their own religion, which rejects and refuses the God of heaven. Of course He doesn't want to share you with anyone else. Here's a note to seasoned Christians. Are all of you listening? Those of you who have been Christians for some time that maybe have great victories to your name, where you can look back, and, and I can, and my wife can, and I know many of you can because we've, we've talked and gave testimony of these things, where in our lives we've seen God's work, undeniably, where He's blessed us in spite of ourselves, where when we've turned to Him and turned things over to Him, He has acted swiftly and blessed us tremendously. Not uh, the least of which was perhaps in this last week and the things that surrounded the surgery that was to be performed on, on my wife's mother. But personally, having experience with it, those of you who know what I'm saying, are you watching how Moses, after his great leadership, later in the desert wandering, he's over 80 years old, 
And he in anger struck that rock twice and said, Must we bring water forth from this rock for you? And took the glory away from God in the presence of the people. Do you remember Saul, whom God chose as the first king of Israel? A humble man, especially for being tall and handsome. Very humble. And God said, I'll, if you're going to have a king, I'll pick him. I pick this guy. And he became enraged, incensed in jealousy against David when songs started being sung that David was a greater warrior than he. It just changed his whole demeanor. Well, you know, David was not just a young shepherd boy anymore when he was in the palace that night and looked out his lattice window and saw Bathsheba on the roof, was he? He's a seasoned king and warrior by then. How about Solomon? It was later in his life when he was old that he loved many women and they led him away from God. Let that sink in. In every one of those cases, perhaps not Moses, but they were not in time of battle. They were not engaged in warfare. Moses was frustrated because of the faithlessness of the people, but the other three were at times of ease. Saul, David, Solomon, first three kings of Israel, during their times of ease. Asa has had peace for 25 years, and what happens? When we let our guards down, sometimes it doesn't matter how much experience you have. If you're not engaged in spiritual warfare, probably gonna get caught off guard and when you do here's the problem when you do you've you've already shown leadership to those who are around you maybe even depending on you for it you've already shown that leadership you've already done that good work you already know the the power of God in your life and then you sin and it is a great fall it is a great fall and so this is something I have come to as reading through these. Here we go again. I'm 46 years old, and I'm thinking, that's right now. My kids are moving out of the house. Things are changing. It's not as hectic. I'm not as engaged in spiritual warfare through them, helping them. I'm starting to get a little breath of fresh air as a parent and kind of shifting the... I have a little more time on my hands to take care of some other things. Primo target. <laughs> and I'm telling you, watch for these times in your life. Don't let your guards down. Asa let them down. And, and he totally forgot to pray to God about this and just sent gifts to the king of Syria. Hey, help, help me solve this problem. God said, when you don't rely on me, I won't be found. Asa forgot God, but he responds in anger. Read verse 10 of chapter 16. It says that he is angry with God and even enraged with God in this passage. Chapter 16, verse 10. He put Hanina in prison and oppressed some of the people at this time. He thought God was unjust for this, that his success in this matter, his diplomacy, warranted favor and honor from God. He was so brilliant. 
Asa is one of the great Old Testament examples that we have of turning grace into debt. What do I mean by that? Paul said in the Roman letter, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That is, to, to him who is working to gain favor with God, to have some badge of merit by which God is obligated to save your soul to those people. The wages that you receive are no longer grace. It's not a gift anymore. It's debt. You're not the one indebted. He goes on to say, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So instead of putting your faith in God to justify your sinful nature, you actually turn to God and say, did you see that? Don't you think I'm faithful? You owe me. You owe me. This is the only explanation I can give for Asa's attitude toward this rebuke. What? Did you not see that brilliant move? God should be proud of me for this. He owes me for saving His people. We didn't even go to battle. We didn't have to lose one soldier. This was brilliant. What? Throw him in prison. You owe me for this. One of the greatest illustrations of legalism, of indebtedness in the Old Testament that we have. Whenever you think that God owes you something, you exalt yourself above Him. I've said many times that word devotion means to vote yourself down from being God. He revoted Himself into the first position. Piper goes on to say, God is not looking for people to work for Him so much as He's looking for people who will let Him work for them. Listen to this. He will not surrender the glory of being the giver. God is so eager, He says, to work for us that He goes around looking, as Hanina said, looking for more work to do for people who will trust Him. How many times have we seen God say, I would have done much more? Remember that now? See this pattern? You let the Syrians escape from your hand. What? I wasn't in battle with the Syrians. I called them to be my alliance. God is looking into the future. And He says, there will be a day that they come against you. In fact, He comes against Joash and Judah and kills the whole administration takes everything out of the temple and marches off. God sees these types of things. And He said, you let them escape from your hand. I would have given you Israel and Syria and let you be the power in that whole region and brought peace and settlement to the people. Maybe the kingdom would have united again. How do we know? Because men keep taking things into their own hands. We never get to see the full blessings of God. Oh, I think about God's blessings in my life, I can't even count. And I think, how many have I blown? How many times have I robbed God of wanting to give me something, but I refused to be faithful? I don't even like to think about it. <laughs> I don't even like to think about it. But God's grace now is shown as He reaches out to a lost son. Watch, watch this. Last week, you remember the two ways that we set forth 
that God reaches into the heart of men and exposes what's inside, suffering and adversity. Things not going your way. Suffering has more to do with physically suffering to some degree. Adversity is just issues and problems, politically, personally, financially, etc., etc. Well, they can be the same thing, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Look at verse 12. And in the 39th year, this is four years later, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, it's not wrong to seek the physicians. The point of this being recorded, right before it says he passed away and died in his anger, is that he only sought the physicians. He was, he was so angry at God still about this. His pride was so great that he wouldn't even pray to God and say, can you help me as I suffer with this? Would you heal me of this as I try to lead your people? I think the point is God would have helped him like he did Hezekiah. He gave him 15 more years of his life when Hezekiah said, okay, just remember my work. Granted him 15 more years. I wonder what he did unto Asa. We don't know. He robbed him of a blessing. But he died in anger. He turned grace of God into debt. I don't believe that all suffering is from God. I don't want to open that can of worms and not answer that question. I don't believe that all suffering, all human suffering is from God. But when it is... It is a gift of grace to call you back to Him like He did Solomon in his adversity. When his enemies began to gain power over him and he, it drove him to faith and he began to reflect and he began to write. We have that recorded in Ecclesiastes. When Asa was enraged against God, God called to him through this suffering. Our works are not a bargaining chip with God. God is not indebted to us. He doesn't owe us anything. Read what Jesus taught in the book of Luke about doing that which is your duty to do as a servant to God. You don't demand from your master then favors and you serve me first. You serve your master and you say, that was my duty to do for all that He has blessed me with. And may we not say, I don't deserve this. It may not be that you deserve it, but it may be that you need it. Jimmy Allen said that grace is when God gives us what we need. Think of it. Not just all the good stuff He blesses us with gifts and toys. Grace is when He gives us what we need. This was a gift to Asa to drive him into repentance back to God. That's a hard lesson to learn from Asa. And so we've seen several good lessons, I think, from this text in this sermon today. But the overriding lesson is that God is after your heart. Peter said about Christ that Christ went about doing good. He preached the gospel to the poor. He freed the captives from sin. He proclaimed liberty. Jesus went about doing good because ultimately He wanted to save souls. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk because He wanted their souls. Paul said, and I'll close with this passage, he said in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. When he was struck with a physical infirmity, he said this, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, that is, that God was revealing himself to me, and I was the man. I was the man. He was taking me up and showing me things in heaven which were not lawful for me to come back and write about. I could have been boastful about that. He said, but lest I be exalted by the me uh, above measure by these revelations. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly, I'll rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus wants to heal your soul. He may heal your flesh to show you His power. He may wound you. But He'll bind you up. The great physician can even do transplants. Heart transplants. That's ultimately what he's after, a new heart. And this loving father, passionate about his children, will do anything to get our attention and bring us back to him. I hope that you will reflect inwardly, see the need to receive God's grace, to interpret the things that are happening to you in your life in this light, in this view. Let's stand and sing this song Kevin's picked out for us. If you need to become a Christian, today's your day.